Oh, yo, what up, peeps? It's another episode of Invite the Neighbors. I got Jake Cobb on the way over to talk about a couple of singles that his band No Fun Club just... Well, I don't know if they were... Yeah, they were just released them. Um, and they got some more music coming up. I'm talking out of my ass right now because normally I record the intros after I talk to them and I know all the information right now. I'm just trying to remember all of it before it even gets here. Um, and he was talking about maybe putting a little DIY record label together, so I'm going to talk to him about that. I'm kind of really curious about that, so um, we'll see when he gets here. I don't know if he's going to play a song, um, but we'll definitely talk about the, the new songs that No Fun Club have done, and I played a show with them, saw them, saw them live, really liked them, so go check those out on Spotify. Um, otherwise, thanks for listening. Alright, we're live on Instagram. We are live. We're rolling on Ableton. Oh, baby. This is Jake from No Fun Club. What's up, everybody? This is Carl. What's up, guys? What's up? <laughs> Come to you live. Oh, yeah. Do it live! Alright, this is a new song. I'll keep it to myself But the plans from years of building out Your own personal hell And so you set the scene in cinematic hues And you're used to feeling used You let a softer voice cut through And start dreading everyone you've committed yourself to and it feels like opting out might be the safest thing to do and if you stick to the script as an easy way out then I would come up with new ways of letting you down to the ground where I'll stand with my head in the sand Just let me sleep through all of my alarms again Something you got from singing the same old tired tunes But with the fear of missing out 
That everything that happens seems to happen somewhere else Without you Without you Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a work in progress, but I, that was awesome. It's getting there. Shit. I don't want to be like my favorite No Funk Club song to like diss songs that you've like put more time and effort into, but I really, really like that a lot. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna hit pause real quick and then like. Okay. Yeah. So I was saying. I love these non-transitions that I always do. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I was saying, like, the feeling of being spread thin, you know? Oh, man. Like doing all this shit. Very relatable. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, not to make it about, like, myself. I just feel like, you know, that's something we can all kind of relate with if you're trying to do music in general. Because, you know, almost always, unless you're, like, a trust fund baby, you're going to have, <laughs> like, you got to do something that's not your passion a lot of the times to, like, fund your passion right you gotta you gotta grind at a full-time job get that bag you get, get that bag and then spend the whole bag bag unit dude. on your band <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude it's like i'm curious like you don't have to uh any anyway, we can always just edit this out if you don't want to like have it public but like i've been asking bands lately like when you have a a situation where you have like a soul songwriter or if it's like it's clearly even though it's like a collaborative thing it's if it's just this person's project yeah that's what it's known as like financially like how do you like split the burden oh man um it really depends what it is um i'm luckily in a position where i have a full-time job that can support most of what i want to do with the band so for a lot of stuff i'll pay for it um some stuff will split We'll try to do an even split if possible if we are going to split. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on what it is. Because like I was talking um, to my dad about like being in the market for a van. You yeah. know, I'd really like to get a van to go on Shit. tour and stuff. And he's like, well, make sure, you know, those other guys in your band are, you know, paying for that thing. I'm like, ah, it's just like it's there's a lot more variables. Right. Because like if it's your project and you're the sole songwriter, you don't know how long those guys are going to be around at least right um which isn't a knock at anybody in particular right, right. but people have all. their own lives and musicians especially in this scene they kind of they can jump from project to project and um, 
everybody has kind of their own goals and stuff. So is it really fair to ask people who right. might not be in the band in a year? Oh, and I need you to all contribute like grand to this van I'm going to buy, but I'll, I'm going to keep the van when you leave the band. Right. Right. And like, uh, it's also like, I try to like withhold certain information from my parents just to make them not stress as much. But like right. the fact is I'm would, I'm in a band with two people who like, are much younger at different points in their lives and, you know, don't have like the, probably the same financial freedom that I do to like finance a van. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and it would be really awkward to be like, Hey, you know, this van's in my name. I need you to help me with the payment. You know, it's just like, it's not as clean cut as like, right. And I I mean, I get, I get where your dad is coming from and he might not, I do too. He might not understand it. But from, from my perspective, I'm like, if that were me in that situation, I would probably keep the van after those other guys had moved on. If I was going to keep doing the band. So at that point, it's like, it's kind of fucked up to ask him to pay for it. Right. Exactly. Like, like you don't, you don't want to feel like you used someone financially. Yeah, yeah, never. And like I've I've probably gone so far in the opposite direction that I could put myself a little bit I've probably put myself a little bit further in the hole than I needed to. Right. But like I I try to be as self-aware as possible and like I'm fully realized that like my band at least is so much under like my direction yeah that i want people to feel comfortable being a part of it and i don't want them to feel like hey i'm making all these decisions blah 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 it's like you know the old taxation without representation sort of (laughs) thing you know i I want them to feel like they get to be a part of something cool and like they're they're right your bandmates are your are your biggest supporters if you're someone who started a project yeah they're investing their time in you so to to kind of ask them to contribute even more i get that that's not right. always the comfiest thing to do and like i was i was jamming with spencer he was over here um oh spencer heathcott yeah yeah i yeah. actually just put out his episode like an hour ago okay we did an Shit. episode after we talked or we rehearsed because he's just gonna play bass for us mm-hmm. and uh i was just telling him like my my sales pitch i guess to like people who want to prospective band members right would be like you know I know that we're no a no name at the moment, but like we at least my goal is to make this a profession and approach it like a business. And that like over time, if if the music I'm writing is something that you vibe with, and you know it turns out that we write similarly and we can you know just mesh well musically, then I want it to become naturally more collaborative. And right. I feel like as the music over time hopefully grows, becomes more collaborative, then like the financial burden will spread. Right. You know, as as people, it's like Fight Club. You know, you decide your level of involvement, right? Kind of right. thing. And you know, it's difficult to like explain that to parents who just want to make sure that you're <laughs> doing the smartest possible thing financially. But right is what it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you a uh, couple new songs? Yes. Put out recently? Yeah, no fun club. Um, back in August, we recorded two songs at Summit House Studios with Tyler Floyd. It's a good spot. Um, yes, it is a very good spot. Tyler's, as I've mentioned the last time I was on the podcast, is incredible. Um, How much is he paying you to say that? <laughs> That's in his budget. Me, he pays me two grand a month. <laughs> good old Floyd, dude. Just kidding. No, I'm Tyler, actually going I'm to, No, I'm just, I'm fucking, I'm actually going to record them on Monday. 
Oh, hell yeah. Over at this new studio where you guys were just at. Yeah, Eureka Studios. I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Well, we just did it at Eureka Studios. But um, yeah, so you're recording the In a Daydream record kind of split between Nick Diener and Tyler. Yeah, so it's... it's I'm, I really want to split it like kind of three ways too. Like, so the tracking is, is mostly done with Nick, but I just got, well, it's hard to say. Like it's maybe like a 60, 40, 70, 30 split. Cause Tyler is doing all the drums and the drums are such a huge piece. Right. But like Nick is the one who's doing like a majority of like the song structuring and things like that. Okay, like, Is I'm, Nick helping with like arrangement and stuff like that? Not really. Like I, I take a really heavy like production role in all of it. Okay. Um, but you know, not to say that there aren't times like I, I told Nick from the very beginning, I was like, I'm very heavy handed when it comes to this stuff, but I trust your expertise with the equipment and with like, you know, the know-how I guess practically. So if you ever have an idea, just tell me. So we've had a really good working relationship as far as like, if he has an idea, it's very, I'm very open to it. We always try it. And a, a lot of times like he'll add something that right. like, I don't think he'll, he doesn't change parts, but like he'll say, for instance, there's a part where I really want it to be thick. So he's like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to grab this baritone guitar. Okay. And add that layer. And then he'll play a baritone guitar on it. I'm like, sweet. But as far as like the arranging, structuring, things like that, not not so much. Right. And Tyler, Tyler's been mostly hands off, but there's been a handful of things like that, like with double tracking or with yeah. um cer- some certain guitar parts, he'll be like, play it this way instead, or mm-hmm. maybe try this tonally, try this combination of pedals. Yeah. Um, and we did some cool things. Um, Like for the two singles that No Fun Club just put out, um, one of them... Taurus on that thicker guitar part that's in the chorus i had this strymon deco pedal that it's like it's like a tape simulator that um it does like tape warp and then also tape gain damn so you could like make it like the the saturation yes yeah so i don't use that on my pedal board because my power supply won't power it (laughs) (laughs) and i don't really have space for it but um we use that on the recording that was at tyler's suggestion using it to double the fuzzy big muff guitar and i think we got some really cool really big tones out of it yeah i think like the the originally tyler was gonna speaking to that like so like the types of things that Tyler comes up with. Like originally I was just going to do drums with Tyler because Mm -hmm. save money. And I, you know, I knew he had a really good room for it, AKA his uh, walk entryway. Yeah. Um, The foyer. Yeah. The foyer, if you will. (laughs) Um, But we were, you know, tracking guitars and like, I, I was talking to him. I was like, we were tracking scratch tracks. I was like, maybe we could try like doing some guitars down here because I love the sound of like vintage Fender Overdrive. You know, right. like, I love that hotelier oh, yeah. sort of oh so oh so. Tyler's house, his dad's collection. Yeah, of vintage seventies Fenders. Yeah, like, and he he worked on my Fender. I can't recommend it enough. It, it's a new amp, you know, completely new amp. Mm-hmm. But like, we were just getting some sounds. I was like, oh, dude we we tracked some stuff that i was like there's no way i can't have this on the record like this is the best i've ever heard my guitar on a recording so like it's turned into at tyler's i do the drums and the main like unadulterated overdrive parts okay and then at nick's i get you know clean guitar 
ambient guitar like weird effects we do a lot of experimenting to get tones like auxiliary shit like you know like bells okay it's midi stuff that we put in and then i'm gonna have nick do the mixing and then for mastering i'm 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 looking into different options okay you know cool because like i there's a potential like you know the early november yes so ace has this studio in new jersey called lumberyard and i would love that's a dream of mine to like have him master my shit so I'm going to, I saw him posting on Instagram, like, if you want to work with us, just message me, like Ace Ender's personal account. Just, just Shit. Like, I was like, all right, I'm going to s- figure out how much this is. Cause like I grew up idolizing Ace Ender's, right. you know? So if like he could have in any way, some involvement, all I got to do is pay some money. I'll save up for it, you know? But we were just talking about this, uh, yesterday on the podcast I did with, uh, with Nick from Oregon. Yeah. Like, doing it yourself and having that sort of charm of like that like mastering it yourself i mean just like in general like the recording process right doing it yourself like versus spending more money and like trying to like attach it to a name you know and try to figure out like what works best for your band right so i'm kind of curious like what would be i mean obviously you work with tyler and he's great Mm -hmm. do you have like a dream scenario in mind um like down the road if you could like make a record with anybody oh man that's that's a tough question um really i've i've never really felt that i had like a dream scenario about wanting to record with somebody famous yeah um just because i hear all these stories of people spending way too much money and then not being happy with the with the end result having it not be what they thought um the guy from the band Gleamer, though, um, I want to say his name's Corey. I forget, but he does mixing and mastering. And if you do, you know the band Gleamer? Mm-mm. They're like, um, they're kind of shoegazy, but they have like a very distinct, very thick okay. vocals forward, but also very like verbed out, spacey hmm. vocals kind of sound, and it's very clean, but also very dreamy. Huh. And so. Um, it's hard to achieve, I feel like. Right. Just listen to Gleamer. You'll yeah, know what I'm talking I'm gonna, about. Yeah. <laughs> it um, sounds like it'd be right up my alley. Right. That Having him mix or master the record to kind of get the sound of those early Gleamer records would be really, really cool. But um, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Putting me on the spot here. That's that's why this podcast has thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners. Now I'm just joking. Oh baby, but yeah, um, it, it does not. For recording, not for recording, I feel very comfortable with Tyler, given that I've made um a full length for my old band, um, an EP, and then two, now two singles, and then this live session we just did. Yeah. Um, which I'll I'll get into that in a second. I'm kind of jumping forward here. Yeah, it's but, all good. Um, I feel very comfortable working with Tyler. Um, and I'm very happy with all the results I've gotten. So I don't see any reason why I would go to somebody else. Yeah. I am kind of curious to try recording other spots, but if I know like I'm going to put something out and I want like people to listen to it and to put my best foot forward with yeah. what I'm recording, I'm perfectly, perfectly comfortable and perfectly happy with working with Tyler Floyd. Yeah. And I was, I was going to say too, like I working with him has been interesting it, that's for the wrong word like it's been just effortless you know it's right. i guess interesting in how effortless it was because like i wasn't sure what to expect you know mm-hmm. because i i mean i remember talking to him about 
you know, Parkway in Columbia, when he was on the podcast, like talking to him about like, we were talking about how to balance ego in our projects (laughs) and things like that. And, you know, and like, I totally related with him on like, when it comes to your project, you are so particular about things. So I was wondering like, what was it going to be like to record with him? Like, was he going to be that hands-on with, you know, recording other people's stuff, but he's so like, he's receptive very, he's to like what you're receptive. trying to do. He's um, very customer minded for yeah. lack of a better term. He's really good at working with you to help you figure out like what you are going for. Yeah. And nailing that sound. Now, I mean, I'm trying, I don't think he's done a metal record <laughs> or like, a hardcore record or anything like that he could do it though that's the thing right like the 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 moment like there not that there was one particular second but what made me realize that like you know i could definitely have a good working relationship with him was Mm -hmm. when we were trying to get the good drum sound hi tyler if you're listening probably not you're fucking too uh too highbrow for this little podcast but no uh shit no, I love Tyler, but uh, like the this the what made me realize that like I could work well with him was when I was happy with the sound of the drums, like he was tweaking all the EQs, moving the mics around, and like I was good. And he was like, "Nah," like went back upstairs, messed with it more, and I was just like, "Okay," like it. He takes pride in his work, right? And that's what you look for. Like he takes pride in something that's not even like his necessarily right and i was i was really appreciative of that because at at that point he had no idea what the song was even going to sound like you know what i mean like it wasn't like he knew he was going to like it and therefore wanted to invest more of his time into it he just knew that we were there to pay him right and but he had also had a i mean he's he's carved out a really sweet spot for himself because he genuinely to me it seems genuinely enjoys just getting the best possible sound Mm mm-hmm and is reasonable rate wise, like it's you couldn't really ask for much more, you know. Right, he's really good with the details too. Yeah, and just kind of nailing each sound. Yeah, and like once I told him about the guitar sound that I was going for, he just dialed it up, you know. Like, and it's I don't use any of my own equipment except for maybe a guitar right. with the with the tracks I did with him so far. Mm-hmm. But it's it's about as close as possible to like what I can recreate tonally live, right? Especially it was nice too because like as I was recording, I was having his dad work on my amp, so mm-hmm. like he was his dad was like downstairs while we we're recording. I'm like, yeah, you can kind of hear the sound that I want to have based on all these awesome vintage Fender amps that you have. Mm-hmm. If you can make my little blues deluxe reissue sound kind of like that, <laughs> that'd be ideal. How long ago did you get the blues deluxe? Oh, dude. I got that my junior year of college. Yeah. So like 20, 20, well, 2012, 2013, something like that. Okay. So you've had it for a bit. Yeah. And like I've replaced the tubes on it once, mm-hmm. but I I just haven't like, I've wanted to mod it for forever and I've wanted to like just upgrade it, but I just never took the plunge financially. And finally I just decided like, all right, just do it. You'll right. be you'll be glad you did, mm-hmm. and yeah, I couldn't recommend Tyler's dad enough. Have you like had any amps modded at no, all? No, I've not ever had an amp modded. Um, 
You have nicer amp than me, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I have a Fender Deluxe Reverb that needs needs some work done. I've been putting that off forever. It might just need a new fuse. It might might need some more serious work done. Um, But I've been using an AC-15 for a while. Yeah, that's what I saw that, that yes. show. I was like, ooh, is that not yours? or is That, that is mine. Oh, okay, sweet. Dude, you should A-B those bad boys once you get them maybe, both, wor- both working. Patrick has a very, very loud amp. <laughs> oh, yeah, so. true true um so we don't want to be like too much and overpower the rest of the band right right but maybe yeah i was thinking like when i saw you because colin wasn't there i was just like yeah like oh shit you know i i i love the most extra guitar rigs as possible right (laughs) patrick uses i want to say a four by ten super reverb when he plays guitar I was going to um, say, I was trying to, because he was just playing that, that Fender bass man, that uh, ugly flannel had, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. He wasn't using our amps or anything. Right. Um, but usually we'll use his bass amp um, for Colin, which okay. is like an acoustic, maybe 2120. I don't know. I don't know what they yeah, call I, that model, but it's an acoustic bass amp. It's very loud, very thick, very beefy. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds ba- pretty good. That's, that's. I still haven't seen you as a four piece. I don't think. Oh man! I think each time, like you know, we played a couple of shows, and the the first show at the club above wasn't that like you, Patrick, and Mike, and before Colin was no, added, so or? that when we played at Club Above, that was that was when Arthur Jones was still in the band. Oh um, okay, that was actually his last show with the band. Oh yeah, okay. This is and then he now. he left. And then Colin joined up. We went on a little tour and played a couple more gigs. And nice. then Patrick joined up. Um, I had I'd like known of Patrick through online, through Twitter and Facebook groups and stuff. Oh, um, he used to live in Michigan and um went to Central with Haley from Bombastic Dream Pussy and. Hmm. Brianna Bondi, who um they all went to Central. Yeah, they all went to Central. Oh together so um so i knew of patrick like from them but um i actually met him when i was and i knew of him from bad tv too i feel like everyone's been in bad tv at some point yeah (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely a revolving door because he played in bad tv i guess before i joined okay and that was Um, when i first met you actually was a bad tv show at the late station yes that's crazy (laughs) That was such a long time. It really wasn't that long. It was like ago, a couple but years it feels ago. Like it was I think it was in t- the, like the late stages of 2017 maybe or 20 2018. 2018. Wow, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, that makes sense. Shit. Cuz I've only been doing the music thing like in earnest since it's maybe been 2 years, so that would make sense. Damn. Yeah, it was Cali Cousins, Dogleg, Koopa Kid, Bad, Bad TV. TV. It's like my first DIY show. Holy shit. Yeah. That was my first the bad TV begins. show, I think. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I only knew Wit when I went there. Like, he was the only person. And I didn't even really know Wit. I just, I know, uh, like, I knew we had a mutual friend, like, who knew that, like, I was into the music thing. So, like, got put in contact with Wit. And so, I knew Wit from the internet mm-hmm. and then went to the show. And I also remembered him from, like, I'd had conversations with him at, uh, music around before i knew who he was right you know just about like random shit but uh yeah that was, was eye-opening that first 
like DIY show experience. That's like, insane. And it's like you look back on that and you're like, how many people that I know now yeah. that I interact with regularly did I cross Seriously. paths with for the first time at that show? Yeah. Like, I I can't even remember. It's weird to think like Pat Ray, Mike Higgins, and Koopa Kid, you know? Yeah. That was my first like first taste of either one of them. Had no idea that Pat was the most memed man in Michigan, <laughs> you know? And I just was enjoying it. I was so jealous. Like, I was so, like, had, the, like, this FOMO feeling of, like, oh, like, man, I want to be doing this so badly. DIY. I want to be part of it. Now, yeah. Now, two years later, you're like, I'm in too deep. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I just want to play venues. I, I don't, and now I'm, now I'm complaining about DIY shows, like, not being able to hear the vocals and stuff, whereas, like, it is funny to think about that, honestly. Right. Think about, like, I would kill to just plug my microphone straight into that one powered speaker that they're using for vocals mm. <laughs> but yeah i mean you know hindsight's 2020 but what was it was i talking about patrick and how he joined the band yeah 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 so um so i met patrick at like irl okay, um you're good okay i met patrick irl um I was doing a solo show filling in for a show bed TV had to drop at the blind pig and Patrick came. Oh, nice. And so I talked to him for a while there, instantly hit it off. And, um, we did our tour kickoff for, um, spring weekender a couple weeks after that. Mm-hmm. And Patrick came to that. And so at that show, I knew we were looking for another guitarist and I asked mm. Patrick if he'd be interested in jamming with us. And so, so now we're here. Yeah. So like, what was it what was the process of like so when when you added another guitar player did you have parts in mind already or did you Yeah, like everything of- I write has two guitar parts. Um and for the record, I'm probably not going to write the second part for most stuff. I'm going to hand it off to him okay. to write. Um but I had I'd pretty much tabbed out everything once I knew we were going to have another guitarist who was going to be learning the songs. Yeah. Um I tabbed out most of what we were going to play and gave it to him to learn okay after we jammed a couple times and saw it was going to be a good fit yeah that makes sense like i that's something that's kind of like looming over my head right now i was like i should really tab out these parts now that i have people that are interested in playing guitar and like playing bass like Mm -hmm. well luckily spencer doesn't need it spencer can just learn it by ear yeah and so can charlie honestly on guitar but it a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm teaching them the guitar part that I have written so that I can play the second guitar part. Mm-hmm. So it's like tabbing out the parts helps me remember them because a lot of times I write the second guitar part in the studio, you know, like I don't write them out ahead of time. I just right. like whatever, you know, I listen to the the songs a lot, like in preparation to go and record more. Right. And then it's more about just like, what am I feeling in that moment? Mm-hmm. And I don't have time to write it down because, you know, you're paying for your time kind of thing. So, like, adding members has forced me to learn the parts that I have written and have them use the recordings to learn, like, the the initial part. It's right. Kind of, kind of an unorthodox way of going about things, I feel like. Right. Using the recordings works, but I find find it's easier, um, especially if you're particular about, like, what the people in your band are playing. Yeah. Having it tabbed out does make it a little bit easier to communicate, and there's... Yeah. There's, there's kind of less opportunities there for, like, 
I guess, miscommunication yeah. and having to re-go over parts and spend a lot of time on stuff. Right. So I've, I found it was easier to just tab the parts out for the stuff that had already been written and recorded and give it to Patrick to learn. Yeah, that's... I just need to bring myself to, like, muster up the effort to do that. Right. <laughs> I'm, like, right Yeah, there. no one likes hunching over a computer, <laughs> like, know, typing dude. in fret numbers. Oh, I would... I, would, I have, like, actual sheets... Like, oh shit. That, like like a notebook that has like uh on one side it has like the chord diagrams yeah and then the other side it has like the tab staff mm-hmm. so i'm going to use that but if i had to type it i would never do it i would never in a million i'm very tactile you mm-hmm. know what i mean i like to just write things down right but yeah it's it's still it's i'm just add like i want to go do other things you know right it's hard it's hard to like it's frustrating and it takes way longer than it feels like it should. I use this software called Guitar Pro. When I'm oh yeah, dude, I know Guitar Pro. Yeah, back in the day, dude. Yeah, about that y- shit. You can like simulate different tones and stuff to play back what you read out on the tab. Hmm. So I really like that being able to hear. Oh okay, like amp modelers and stuff. Like kind of. It's not that complex, but there's like different tone options. Okay, like you have like clean vintage distorted fuzz makes sense and there's there's some decent sounding settings but if you get like the the notation and the articulation stuff right yeah you can you can get some pretty cool sounding stuff in there like or not like cool sounding like you if you can get it to sound good in that you know it's going to sound good once you translate it to like actual amps yeah and i i do a lot of like kind of like slides and bends and stuff Mm -hmm. so it's kind of easy with that to tab out to get it sound to sound closer to like what i would do i think yeah so like that's even like when i tab stuff out it's even more bare minimum like i just i'll just tab out like all right this is the the chord like vertical completely vertically i'll just write the numbers like on each string right and then i'll just be like all right that's that chord and then you just have to listen to it to get the strumming pattern like i don't attempt to like write out the strumming pattern or anything mm-hmm. like that because often it's it's not straightforward and i guess laziness i don't know right but yeah but adding bends and things like that is another if if you can like bring yourself to do it that is the way to go i feel like because that's you can just hit play send it to somebody and then they can actually see it and hear it like that's yeah that would be ideal mm-hmm. yeah it definitely takes a long time it's frustrating um but it's it's the best way I've found to do it that works best for me. Yeah, that's that's the key. I'm gonna uh, go to the bathroom real fast. Cool. And then I want to ask you about the the live session. All right. Word. Sounds good. Yeah. So my my podcast personality is the exact same, except I'm more. If anything, my podcast personality. I'm recording now. My podcast personality makes me even more hyper aware of like my ramblingness like the flaws inherent in my like ADD personality. Cause I'm now, I'm, now I'm thinking like, Oh shit. Like see, now I don't want to talk because it's recording. No, you can absolutely talk. Cause I make the rules. God damn it. You know what I mean? You're saying it doesn't happen to you that, um, you don't get, you know, once the, once the record button turns on, you don't get like uh, start to question yourself and overthink. And oh, Hmm. Not really. I, I'm more hyper aware of like how the other people feel. And like, you know, and like conform personality to this, like, image. Yeah, no, that's like, that's like, that's like in like within like my personal like mental mission statement for what this is, is like anti that 
anti like radio personality anti like it becomes sterile and it just becomes like you know i want it to be about like whatever i'm curious about in the moment and because if if i were to yeah yeah because if i were to like try to be the oh you're good if i were to try to be the same thing every single time it would get so goddamn boring like, you gotta it, keep it organic for the for the followers for, for myself <laughs> you know i i actually had an epiphany like a few episodes ago like it, originally it was like the, the like the idea was that it was to keep it organic you know and and interesting for the people who listening who listen but what i realized was it's really more for myself to make it so that i can continue to do this right so that you feel excited about what you're talking about yeah and aren't aren't forcing it yeah because like if if like my shtick was a certain thing other than like my own personality i i don't think i could turn that on and off all the time i i couldn't you know right i mean you could go full joe rogan See, I think, but I think what I like about Joe Rogan, I, I think what makes him so popular is the fact that I think he is being genuine. Like, I think he has genuine, like, he usually, the guests on his show are people that he's interested in. Right. Like, he reaches out to them a lot of the times, which is what I do. You know, a majority of the people that come on here are people that I reach out to. Right. You know, like, you know, occasionally I'll get people, this humble brag, you know, people that want to <laughs> be on the podcast, but. A vast majority of the people that I reach out to because I have a genuine curiosity about like what the community is, like what's going on. Like I want to know like what these people are doing, mm-hmm. how it all works, because it, it, it helps me. And if I figure if it helps me, then it's going to help someone else in my position. Right. You know For what sure. I mean? Like fucking Nick from Oregon. What the fuck, dude? That's sick. That's totally sick. <laughs> so crazy. I spent like two hours trying to figure out how to record on Discord. And I just so bad at technology <laughs> but uh yeah let's okay let's get back to you though so the eureka records like the live session thing yes yeah so how did how did that all come about did you just hit them up like hey i want to do this or yeah i had reached out to austin when i saw they were doing the uh the hand grenades session which i think mm-hmm. was the very first one they put out um to figure out because we'd been wanting to do a video session we'd talked to a couple other Smart. people that um that it just didn't pan out and like you see like audio tree sessions or like little elephant or stuff yeah, like that like dope. every band i like for the most part has something like that online pretty sure you can submit to audio tree shit yeah like i went to them on the website one time and like there's an application process it's not just them reaching out to people i'm pretty sure that's wild yeah i mean obviously you want to be smart about it like you don't want to like unless your first ep is just dope fucking fire and you're ready to go i think like once you have something that you really you feel like you're really solid like your live show is the shit you know in your mind mm-hmm. hit them up because i feel like that's how it works i'm sure they reach out to people too but right i know that some people have gone on there by just submitting that's wild. do you know of anyone in particular i don't remember because it was like three four years ago that i realized this mm-hmm. but i it was right when i first got into like hearing about them and there's this band Artifacts Pareo, which I fucking love. Mm-hmm. They're not very well known because like their drummer had like a health issue, and they d- they refused to get a different drummer because they were that tight mm-hmm. personally. But uh, yeah, I saw their live session; it was so awesome. I was like, oh, what is this audio tree thing, you know? <laughs> and I just went on the website. I'm like, oh, it's in Chicago. I'm like, I wonder how they get on here. And then there's like 
somewhere within there's like a contact and for like booking kind of thing. Right. A- if we were in a position where we were assigned to a label and like had a manager or an agent or something, then I'd probably feel comfortable doing that. Let me ask um, you maybe a question that is for you, but also for like a rhetorical question for anybody who might be listening in the same position, including yeah. like myself. Like what's the harm in just going for it without all that? And just just seeing what they say. You know what I mean? Right. I think at the end of the day, there's really no harm in it. Um, And you really should go for it if if you want to. Um, Sometimes you can overthink, like, being strategic. Like, I have to wait till this, this, and this happens before I can do this. But really, really, I suppose you could just go for it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, like... And I say this because this is so relevant to myself. I've I've created all of these um, these in the past. I've created all these steps, hypothetical steps in my head. Like, all right, before I do this, I need to do this, 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 and this. And I think what it does is it creates more. It's a procrastination tactic where it puts more distance between me and this thing that really scares me. Mm-hmm. Like it really would scare me to go on audio tree because now I'm exposed. Like if my imposter syndrome is freaking out, like if I'm really not good, it's going to show up on this huge platform and it's all this pressure. Right. And so it's no, like that's I, a call out post. To me. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I'm saying, cause that, that is like a hundred percent me, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm sure people can relate. Um, but yeah, I just feel like I create more steps in between what I fantasize about doing and what I'm doing now, just because I'm so afraid of like that pressure. Well, yeah. Like what if I really went for it? Yeah. What I wasn't ready. What would happen? It's, it's, it's ironic and it's really a kind of a paradox, like how afraid we are of like the things we want the most. And this might be the most profound we get on this podcast. Shit. But you know what I mean? Like, does yeah. that does that make sense to you? Like, yeah, it, it definitely does. And especially, like, with music, like, there's no guarantees as to what's going to happen with music. Right. Like, you see bands that blow up overnight. Yeah. Or, like, you know. And stuff like that. Yeah. Like, it can be frustrating. And it, it, I think it's it's good to at least and i'm I'm the first person to tell you that this is super hard for some people but Mm -hmm. like when you see a band having success it's so important i feel like to really work on your perception of that and your reaction to that and like really try to be happy for them like even if it's exactly what you want it's so hard not to be envious it's so Mm -hmm. hard not to be like why why isn't this happening for me? You know what I mean? It's so right. It can be really hard to be genuinely happy for people and not view it as like this competition because I feel like we're wired to be competitive and we're wired. But the reality is just because this band is making it, that doesn't mean that there's not a spot for you now. Right. And it's easy to see like the highlight reel of what's online right. when you don't see the grind that those yes. bands have been through. Yes. And I think I think I'm definitely in a better place with this particular thing than I have been at times in the past because I've been doing it for longer and I've had my own grind. Yeah. That um I kind of understand. I've seen certain bands grind for years and are just now finally starting to really make it. Yeah. And it's been cool to see that and I think with that experience it's easier to not be jealous, especially 
like if you're around people who are jealous, be it, it's easier now for me to be the one who said, well, these people have earned it. These people yeah. have been grinding and for years and yeah. working for it for years. I I mean, I keep it. mentioning dog leg on yeah. this podcast, like several episodes in a row, because this topic has just organically come up. But like, that's a good example to me of like a band that has been grinding and you might see the highlight reel on social media of like you know like the first blood fest video the second blood fest video and like the things like that but talking with them and like actually interviewing them and like mm-hmm. getting to know them it couldn't be happier for them and i feel like meeting the people has helped me get over that hump of like right because because you actually it personifies them it's, yeah they're more than just they're not like these bratty uh, kids who don't deserve on it. spotify right 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 <laughs> Yeah, they're they're like there's substance to it. Right. You know, and like talking with Alex and like hearing the story of how he recorded his EP, first EP and stuff like it was just a passion project. Right. You know, and and then meeting those they're just so cool and like meeting Parker couldn't I don't know if I've ever met a nicer person than Parker, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then Jacob they all have so many different personalities. And then I'll give another example. Like Antighost is another band that just grinds yeah. away. But they couldn't be the, couldn't be nicer people. So like anything I see from them like article in the Metro Times or whatever, I'm like, "Fuck yeah." Like I'm learning how to root for bands rather than just be ego driven and narcissistic really and right. think about like why well, being jealous and yeah. being like like what do I have to do to get there? Yeah, that's right. that's something that I find that the longer you do it, the less of you have mentally. Yeah. And it's easy it's easy to look back and be like ashamed of yourself for feeling that way. Um which yeah I how do I want to word that? I think like it's it's. I think it's might be a stage that everybody goes through at some point in their music. Well, dude, endeavors. Yeah, like I was always like growing up. Ever since I remember, like my first Warp tour back mm. in like oh five, show my age. But uh, like it's been really hard for me sometimes to even enjoy live shows, like even with big famous bands, you know, because it's like I want to be doing it so badly, right? That. And but it feels so out of reach because I'm at level zero, right? That like I've avoided going to certain shows just because I didn't want to feel that sense of. It was really more about just like self loathing in a, in a minor sense, like because I'm like I'm not doing the things that I need to be doing to to get there, yeah. You know? And I want it so bad, but like I feel like what you're saying resonates with me about like the the older you get, like the less you feel that, and I think that is goes hand in hand with you're doing more and more and more to tell yourself that you are working towards it like they're on paper there's logical progress that you're making towards like right. this goal plus if you just get wrapped up in being jealous of other people like then how can you get anywhere it's toxic to yourself right it's um, yeah it's toxic to everybody else yeah too yeah, it's it's not a healthy mindset, and I think I think a lot of people grow out of it the longer the longer they're going at things. Yeah, um, you don't get anywhere by wallowing around in right. self pity and jealousy of other people, because anybody who's made it has grinded. Yeah, has been on the grind. Yeah, I think like I can only speak for myself. It, but for me, what made me turn the corner was 
realizing like, okay, I mean, this was like, you know, years ago, but I realized like, okay, I started to recognize what these feelings were, where they were coming from. And I knew it wasn't about the people who were having success. It was about me. And I'm like, all right, well, I have in my mind, at least what it takes to be doing what these people are doing, Mm -hmm. which makes it all the more painful to know that you could have it. Right. You know, but you got to put in the work. Yes, exactly. So then I made it about me. And now that like, I'm the more I did the work and, and as it's an ongoing process, the more I'm doing the work, the more I'm like starting to see like tangible results, even about like, you know, even with the podcast, like there being potential for, to develop a following in, in some way, it just feels like you're a part of something rather than on the outside looking in. So it's like, even if I'm at this low level now and my friends are at this, you know, this zenith in my mind, you know, they're just doing great. It just, I feel at peace with it. Like I'm happy for them now because I feel like I have my niche and I have my spot and it's not my turn to be there, but I know that like they had this journey because I've interviewed them. Like I figured out like what they were at the exact same spot as me, like as far as like shows and like multiple bands they we all have kind of like the same story of coming up mm-hmm. you know and i just you just got to recognize like where you are in your own sort of like narrative and just enjoy it for what it is and not constantly be like constantly be constantly i go ahead so like <laughs> i don't know what i was I'll, there's say. like there's a, a act, comedian actually like said this thing on his podcast and he's like the worst time is always right now because you sugarcoat the past and you like over uh what glorify or whatever you romanticize the future you know what mm-hmm. i mean so y- you think that the future is going to be much better than it is now because the grass is always green or whatever and then you look back on the past and you sugarcoat it even though it wasn't as great as you probably make it out to be right instead of just recognizing that you should enjoy right now because you know it's the most cliche thing but yes that's all you have is like the, the in the moment you know right when you constantly are thinking about you know the past or the future it's it the present is always the worst thing and that's Mm -hmm. something to avoid. And I think like that's advice that I took and that's been really impactful on the way I view like playing shows to five people, you know, just enjoying it rather than being frustrated with it. Right. That's where, that's where I've gotten to too. Cause there's, there's a lot of shows that you'll play to five people and like, that's, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Like, First of all, those five people came out to see you or somebody else. So give yeah. them the best damn show. Right. And then you can tell the story or they can tell the story later on that they were one of five people there and you were this band playing your heart out to them. Yeah, that's what just I, five people. That's what I think about. Um, you know, for the and sometimes it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's it's sometimes you can't always get yourself up for it, and I think that's to be expected. You know, right? Like I especially I have a really hard time, even when there's a lot of people there. I have a hard time like really psyching myself up to play the best show I could. You know, but at the end of the day, like as long as you're trying to give it your all, and like in your mind, like you're being positive about it rather than being like, oh fuck, this doesn't matter because there's only a few people here, kind of thing. Right. And those those bad shows, not necessarily just because not a lot of people came out to it doesn't make it a bad show. Right. But you you can have a bad show and yeah. you can beat yourself up forever to 
over what might have gone wrong or what you could have done differently. And we've yeah. we've had these experiences within the past year um, where shows like weren't necessarily great experiences for one reason or another. Right. Um, and it really doesn't do any good to just beat yourself up over it. Um, you you kind of have to look at it analytically and think, okay, why did this happen? Yeah. And what can we do differently? Could we practice more? Could we um, change the setup? Yes, yes. <laughs> we can always practice more. I could always practice more for sure. Yeah, that's that's one of those things too. Like, it, it's you gotta like sometimes look in the mirror and take a hard look in the mirror and be like, if I didn't like the outcome, like. Mm-hmm. Once, I feel like the biggest mistake you can make is start looking outside of yourself. Yes, for sure. You know, because if you're not happy with something, there, there's only one thing you can change, and that's right. probably you can do things differently in the future to prevent that from happening. Yeah, and you, usually, I think you're the hardest on yourself when you know that it's something that oh, you yeah. did that yeah. fucked the show up. Um, and especially like you can probably relate with this, like being in the position of being like the the front of a band yeah you know if you're not putting the work in that it takes to put on a, a show that you're happy with how could you expect these people who don't have maybe the same level of investment in the songs and that's that's been the thing for me like there's been times where like i didn't practice enough and then i had a shitty show and but i thought like what example am i setting for these people that i'm trying to show like i'm trying to convince them that like being in a band with me is a good idea right right you know so it's like I said, it's easier said than done. Right. It's not productive to, it's not productive to ignore it. And then it's not productive to beat yourself up over it. And the right. beating yourself up, I feel like you kind of have to, you, it might linger for a few days, but you have to kind of talk yourself out of it and yeah. then look, realize that that's telling you something like, okay, what, why do I feel this way? What could I have done differently to prevent this? Right. Like, also, like, something that made me realize like once i started playing shows i remember like one of the first house shows we did as like great neptune mm-hmm. a while back i don't know if you were there or not it was like uh the, was the complainer former critics yeah i don't think i was i don't think i ever saw great neptune you know it's all right <laughs> wait, wait, wait we were happy right. but uh yeah r.i.p dude but uh i really liked one of the bands that played there that were on tour and i they were amazing they sounded great they're probably the best sounding band that was there. And I remember going up to their singer and talking to him and like, I couldn't get a positive word out of him about it. Yeah. And I just thought like, that sucks. Like that sucks to like mm-hmm. put on such a good show and like not even be able to like acknowledge, like he was having trouble even being like, thanks. Not that he wasn't appreciative, but just that like he was in such disagreements about like how good it, like how it sounded. You know? Right. And I was just like, all right well you know that made me think like all right i need as a performer myself i need to think about like what context the people who are here have for what they're about to hear and like if they enjoyed it you know chances are if they don't know the songs intimately intimately especially if i don't have a record out so they don't have the the tools to listen to them and really get to know the songs perfectly so they don't really know the minor fuck-ups as long mm-hmm. as we can kind of hide them a little bit right so little things that are driving me nuts in my head reality is a lot of people probably didn't notice it at all 
So it's like, just say thank you, move on. Right. Yeah. And I think you don't need to be overly self-deprecating either. Um, which that's kind of another, how do I want to word this? Another thing that I can relate to experiencing, like picking apart, like every little thing and not Mm -hmm. being able to be grateful for the moment. Yeah. And I think that's something people should work to grow out of that. I feel like I've kind of grown out of that too. Yeah. Like the more experience you have, the less you beat yourself up over little things too. I think. Yeah. Um, I think too, it's it's taken a lot of effort from you. You mentioned like just being grateful and I feel like that's something that expands into my music life, but it's something that I've tried to apply to like my life as a whole of just like, you know, not to get religious or spiritual or anything like that, but just recognizing like what a privilege it is to even just be in a position to play music, to live this life when you are aware of like, all the different lives you could have been born into, but you, you get this one where even if you're never famous, even if you're never like huge, you still get to be the, even, even to be the type of person who can write a song is amazing. Mm. If you stop to think about it. Right. And then to be in a position where like people are coming out and if one person claps for something that you wrote in your room, it's like, holy shit. Like it's awesome. Right. Like you have your bandmates there here playing music with you that you wrote. Yeah. You have a venue who's willing to put on a show for you and host your band. You have people who are willing to come out and watch your band. And yeah, I I think when you're inexperienced, it's easy to like think of the future, what it could be and be like, right. why can't I get there yet? And get frustrated with it and be struggle with feeling grateful. And I yeah. think that's something that, that it's it feels bad to say that you need to put aside because i think it's something that comes naturally with experience i'm not saying like if you if you're feeling bad about a show you play just suck it up and be grateful you're a horrible person (laughs) but i feel like for people who are struggling with it like for me like had i been into podcasts earlier and i heard like people that i was like looking up to or like people who are doing what i wanted to be doing say if i was like 16 and i heard this exact podcast Mm -hmm. and i heard people telling like saying like just be grateful for these things i might have been more likely to do it quicker so I think it's right. it's okay to like put it out there, mm-hmm. you know, but from my experience, you know, I agree though. It, it has if been a natural process. <laughs> if you're listening and you're beating yourself up about shows and you're having a hard time yeah. expressing gratitude about the people who are supporting you in the shows, think you're not it. a horrible person. Right. You're normal. <laughs> but you should be grateful. Yeah. And you have an amazing opportunity that people are listening to you. And people want to make music with you and people want to hear your music. Yeah. And that's a lot to be grateful for. And I hope, I hope people who are listening that you can see that someday. Dude, I, I couldn't agree more. I remember like the, the, the solo episode I did a a few episodes back was, I went on this, this long ass tangent of just about gratitude, you know, and just feeling so just it's crazy like that the idea that anybody would take the time out of their day to like one give whatever you're creating a chance Mm -hmm. and then to come back to it even right is just like 
tumbling. It's surreal. It's crazy. And um, I won't cover all the the same shit that I talked about in that episode, but I'm kind of curious. This is sending me on a somewhat related tangent. Like, yeah. When I write songs, not I really, I always feel like I'm going to sound like a douchebag when I say <laughs> this shit. But like, when I write songs, I feel like a lot of times the way it comes to me, they come to me like they come in bursts. Like I have very long periods of just not creative, and then I have periods where it, it comes all at once. Mm-hmm. And it it feels a lot of times like I don't know where it came from. It's like I w- wasn't messing with a with a riff, but like an entire song will come out of it, and that ends up being the stuff that I want to use. Yeah, somehow your brain tapped into the collective consciousness yes. and pulled out something. Because when something works, it almost never feels like you labored over it. It feels like it's something that just comes to. That's you. exactly it. Like I think of like the collective consciousness sort of thing, and like I feel like that's contributed to a sense of humility right. for me. Like, cause when I enjoy like a song that I've written, I don't feel entirely responsible for it because it's like, I didn't critically think about all of it. You right. know, I didn't really work very hard on, on a lot of it, you know? And it just feels cool to be able to like, if people like that song, it's cool because I like to, it feels like I'm sharing the experience with them rather than like, oh, I'm doing this thing and I'm giving it to you to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm enjoying it as much as other people because I don't feel like I had 100% everything to do with it in, in a weird way that I can't really explain. Right. There's an essay that John Frusciante wrote about the same thing that uh, Anthony Zito sent to me in one of our group mm. chats that the creator creates really by just tapping into this collective consciousness and channeling ideas from the collective consciousness which sounds crazy but i i feel like just like like what you're saying like stuff comes to you you're you're just a person living in the world you're having experiences you consume art and kind of this combination of this art that all these people who came before you have created yeah, and the experiences that you're living, they kind of all come together and they give you something. Yeah. It's like a conduit. Yes. You, know? you're, you as the artist, you, you aren't creating a song the same way you'd like write a program, make a piece of software. Right. Like right. You're, you're channeling your experiences and your influences in, and in like in a, in a subconscious sort of way too, yes. like you're not really like, all right, I'm gonna turn this part of my brain off, and then I'm gonna go into like songwriting mode, where some people do because they write songs like using like more like technical music theory, and then they have like an idea for you know like it's more mathematical right. rather than just like, holy shit, all right, I guess the song is happening now because this is what's coming, and it just so happened that I had this idea during this practice when we all had the time to work on it. You know, mm-hmm. it is weird, but like it, it's, it's amazing. It's, I love it, but, but you know, I always, I don't ever want to sound like, you know, somehow like that. I feel like it's easy to sound pretentious if you start talking about like, Oh, it's not really me, you know? Right. Mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but I think I'm, you gotta I'm, say it kind of tongue in cheek because you yeah. know, it sounds pretentious. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, I'm glad that you kind of understand it a little bit, like especially the collective consciousness sort of thing. Right. Like, I'll know. try to find that John Frusciante essay and I'll send it to you. 
yeah send it to you after that'd be this. sweet because i'm just i can only speak for like what feels real you know and it just feels like you know i'm what i'm saying is like i'm not working as hard as it might imply mm-hmm. you know it's like it just shit happens and i'm not the greatest guitar player you know I, i'm not like technically very like that good i just like have w- the skills that are required to write the music that I write. Right. You know? And so, so I hear about like a lot of people too, like even, even in the DIY scene, like there's people who have more developed creative processes than I do that I Mm -hmm. kind of, kind of try to learn as much as I can about how they work and try to incorporate more of that into my life. Um, Yeah. Like a lot of people will do like album writing February yeah, and put so out like, like a crazy amount of material in such a short time. Into it part over of me it is like, shit. yeah, part of me is like, how do you come up with that? Yeah, but like, like you don't just sit down and write a fully formed song like that. It comes to you in the same way. But I think, like, if you're purposefully, unlike a lot of people, will talk about like doing stream of consciousness writing to come up yeah. with lyrics and stuff. Um. Or maybe you're the kind of person who can like easily re- write a chord progression and a melody, but then struggle with like words to put with it, and you want to put words that mean something. Yeah. So that's I don't know. Maybe I'll try more of that in the future. Like doing sitting down to make a point to do stream of consciousness writing for like half an hour a day, or something. Or yeah. If half can... an hour once a week, even. Yeah, you know, like I've, I've never really tried that in earnest you know right like i i studied creative writing so like i was often given prompts like i was forced to do it and you know i felt like a year later like right i really loved it and yes. like even if you're writing songs you don't have to give yourself a prompt then nothing has to come from it and that's okay right. yeah. just sit down and i don't do this so take this with a grain of salt but this is this is my goal for this year so someone please hold me accountable <laughs> <laughs> yeah <I was> like, <laughs> just to sit down for like 20 minutes and just write what comes to your mind and acknowledge that it's going to sound kind of for feel forced at first yeah to loosen yourself up and yeah that's actually just channel whatever experiences right about what happened to you that day it can be kind of meditative in a way yeah i i'm i struggle big time i I, i'm so impossible for me to actually meditate but like getting into like a hobby is something is like the closest i can get to like that flow state is like just playing guitar or like Mm -hmm. writing and just checking out but it's, mm-hmm. I'm so ADD that it's very difficult sometimes because I'm just right, thinking right. about the process, going into the process, going into the process. God, the flow state. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't that what we all want? I was like one of my the things I studied in college mm-hmm. and like psychology was just how to achieve the flow state. And even reading books on it, I was just like, eh. Right. When it comes, it comes. And when it doesn't, it's like. I could try as hard as I want to. Right. Really. And how many how many books are written probably about how to achieve the flow state? Right. right. I feel like I feel like when I'm writing music, it's difficult to get into the flow state because that isn't how I've been writing. I've been writing, getting bursts of inspiration, and then filling in the blanks around the bursts of inspiration, which doesn't yeah doesn't really come with like a flow type state for me. At least in my experiences, I have gotten the flow state while programming, which is nice. Um, yeah, I can see that. 
And I mean, it's just, it's two very different parts of your brain and your brain working in two very different ways. Yeah. So like, I would, I would say like for the song, the way I write songs usually is like the, the skeleton of the song comes out all at once. Yeah. And then it's the fine tuning that kind of comes session after session after session of just playing the song, introducing it to band members hearing how they interpret like Noah, how, how he plays the drums. That's going to change the way I play guitar a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then like getting in the studio and like filling it out like that, you know, that is more conscious effort, mm-hmm. but it's like the structure of the song is what kind of just happens. Right. And then there's times where like the lyrics, the lyrics are so, so fickle. Like I, I, I never know. I totally agree. Yeah, it's like it's I, like you want to capture some some idea, but you feel you feel like there aren't words, so you try. Yeah, and it's, and some sometimes words come to you, and other times you have to force words, and you it always feels worse when you're singing stuff that you feel like the words are forced. Because yeah. I feel like I'll get like bits of verses and stuff, but I don't have the whole verse, so I have to fill in the blank. And sometimes mm-hmm. if I leave it alone for a while and come back, the rest of the verse will finish it. It's weird how that happens. Yeah. It's good when it does. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I completely agree. There, there's times when, like, I don't know, I'm just, I'll even forget the words because I'm not like that into them yet. Right. But there's times, though, like when, Oh no, what I was going to say is like some of the lyrics that I enjoy the most and this is typical, it's so typical, but like it I feel like they come to me when I'm feeling my worst. And it's like I don't want to feel that way. Right. You know, but it's like the good shit comes from that. Mhm. And I'm 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 trying to figure out different ways to like become a writer that can cope with just feeling okay and also create things that are on the same level right you can almost kind of because this is very much how i write and i when i feel at my lowest i can't i can't create but Mm. i usually when i'm feeling okay and feeling like i have the mental energy to work on creating i'll usually look back Mm. on those experiences or any experience that kind of influence some sort of strong emotion. So I have a question. In me, yeah. Because this is something this feeds feeds into my like imposter syndrome sort of. Are you familiar with like imposter syndrome? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, so, very much. Yeah, yeah. So this <laughs> More is familiar like familiar than I'd like to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you aren't familiar with it, look it up, people, because you'll understand immediately. But this is, I and mean, this is a really good episode, by the way. This is Shit. great. I'm like. I really people are gonna like this I feel like therapy with Brian yeah this is like a really this is what I like to talk about um but when you 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 said like you know when you're at your lowest it's difficult to create so you think back on those moments and then you try to like let those moments inform your writing when you have the energy yeah I do that too sometimes but sometimes I feel like I'm being melodramatic or like i'm taking those moments i'm I'm romanticizing them and i'm trying i'm exaggerating to make a point and then i feel impersonal it feels right. fake okay you know like i'm like was, was i really feeling this low or am i just trying to be dramatic you know what i mean right and i think i think that's an art and yeah. um i think i think you 
Because I look at all of my songs, all of my songs are fiction. But okay, yeah, yeah, all the way they are by experiences. Yeah. So if you feel like you're being melodramatic or not necessarily like telling everything in the song 100 percent the way it was for you, that's okay because you're creating a work of fiction. Mm. But you also you can't make things that are inauthentic that. Aren't, yeah. And how do I want to? How do I want to explain this? They have to be informed by your experiences, but they don't have to be one hundred percent true to your experiences. But they can still be something that someone would listen or read the lyrics and feel like, okay, I can relate with this. It, yes. there's, it, it feels like something a human would experience, yeah. even if it's not like a hundred percent to the book what was real for you. And that's right. That's good to hear because it's like sometimes I will not think about like oh well is it still genuine to the human experience and i'll just think about like okay well i didn't experience like this tiny detail of what i'm writing but this little thing that i'm kind of fudging makes the song much better lyrically so i'm just gonna use it right right and the general the general emotion of the song i think should be something that you felt yeah but um because how else could you sing it from the heart sing it genuinely if you hadn't experienced something like it that's Gretel van fleet dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> not to not to talk too much shit on the no. podcast <laughs> no. But... <laughs> no i only said that because like me and carl were talking about Gretel van fleet we're debating back and forth like the the problem the with Gretel van fleet is it feels like they try too hard to like just sound like a carbon copy of Led Zeppelin rather than drawing from a wall of several different influences and expressing their experiences. Yeah. Um, precisely. Which maybe it's because they're young kids who haven't been playing music for very long and got a lot of fame thrust upon them at a very early period in their creative process. I mean, they're obviously good at their instruments. Oh yeah. They're for sure. They're not making creative music that I'm interested in listening to but they can play they can sing they can do the led zeppelin carbon coffee to a t yeah i almost feel like maybe it's possible that like their agents got the best like they they got a hold of like a record label or they got a manager or something that just really found them and just like pushed them Mm -hmm. through the system well that's an easy product to sell to the boomer crowd too like look at these my dad showed me them you know (laughs) like look at these 18 year old kids they sound just like led zeppelin ha ha yeah and like i mean your average like 55 year old person working in middle management or something isn't gonna be like crawling band camp searching Ann Arbor <laughs> right, emo right, right. Ann Arbor twinkle daddy they're looking for that those nostalgia berries dude. yeah they'll they'll go to like cnn.com or like maybe rollingstone.com if they're adventurous and it'll be like look at these kids bringing back rock and roll the way it was back when you were a kid yeah I really, so that's that's my explanation behind Greta Van Fleet is it's an easy product to sell. They probably came from a family that was connected in the entertainment industry, and it's probably a fair assumption. Yeah, and here we are now, Greta Van Fleet. I don't think they know any better. I don't think they've and because they had so much fame and expectations pushed upon mm-hmm. them at such an early age, they're always going to be Greta Van Fleet. Now they're always going to be yeah. the band that sounds like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, Cause it's all so, that reinforcement. So how do, how do they develop as artists and move beyond the, we want to sound just like Led Zeppelin. Cause Maybe they're the next radio head, dude. I doubt it. 
Pablo Honey was like, oh, let's try to be a Nirvana. <laughs> I doubt it. No, right. it's like I. It but I mean, kinda... when I was when I was in high school, there were a lot of bands that were trying to sound like, if not Led Zeppelin, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, like Nirvana, like the mm-hmm. Flavor of the Month metalcore band. Oh, there's still that all the time. <laughs> and it's like, um, and I don't, I don't know how you find that within yourself to keep developing as an artist. Um, there's probably you probably need to have some amount of self deprecation. Yeah, I to not be happy with what you've produced or not not be content because to not be happy with what you've produced isn't a healthy yeah. way to look at things, but to always be striving for more. If you're getting millions of dollars and millions of plays on Spotify, it's probably very easy to get content. Yeah, with that. I mean, clearly, we don't have any context for that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right? I just like, I wonder, like, you know. I sometimes I think about, you know, cause it's fun to think about like, what if, what if this works out, you know, pardon that little Greta Van Fleet tangent. I should never mention them. I should make a rule not to just say Greta Van Fleet. on the We, we had some good insights on Greta yeah, Van Fleet. Yeah. You actually made me feel kind of bad about like, cause I feel like it's not their fault necessarily. If it's probably more the record label, just like pushing what they're doing. But, and I agree. They don't know any better. Right. That's <laughs> kind of, I, I agree with you now that you say that. They haven't had the grind and the constant failure. They were given success right away. Yeah, that makes sense. What was I just saying though? I forgot what I was about to say. I'm I'm assuming that I don't what I I don't think they were major label production. I think that they were just they just really fucking love Led Zeppelin. And right, but there's fucking love Led Zeppelin. Right, there's a lot of high like yeah for this is more addressing like the claim that they'll never be anything more than just a Led Zeppelin knockoff band and they suck because they're just a Led Zeppelin knockoff band. Like they can clearly play their instruments, but they got a lot of attention on them for clearly that when there's a lot of high school kids who are at that point in their creative journey. It's not like they were asking for all the attention they're getting and like, but now that they've gotten it for that specific thing, will they advance as musicians as they might have had they not gotten all the success for being the Led Zeppelin right. cover band. And the catch to that is that also makes me feel kind of bad for them is anything they try to do after, no matter what it is, they're always going to be. The yeah. They got to rename the band. Fleet. <laughs> Even, no, just, dude, it's I'll fine. It by saying that it's just fucking remarkable how, uh, how much they are aping Led Zeppelin. Like you can, it's wild. You like if, if it came on the radio, <laughs> You don't even know the fucking difference. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's unreal to me. Just got to read the pitchfork. Read, <coughs> read the pitchfork review. 1.6. 1. 1. baby. <laughs> I mean, and any press release they get or any album review they get from now on is just going to be like, remember when they were in Greta Van Fleet? Yeah. <laughs> no matter what it is. Yeah. And it's like they're just riding the, mo- the money, dude. They're just loving mm-hmm. it. I mean, they're having a great time, I'm sure. Maybe that is all they wanted to do. Right. You know? Right. It, and they're it, coming it, on the podcast next week, so we'll figure sick. it out. Sick. Let me let me guess on it. They're from Flint. <laughs> I'm like, hey, don't listen to any of the episodes before yours, but come on, we'll talk about it. Right. I feel like I was saying something. And I mean, like, that ultimately gets down to, like, what is the purpose of creating art? What is the purpose of creating music? It's different for each person, you know? Some <laughs> to get are- one million monthlies on Spotify... One million likes on Facebook and one million dollars. Some people, that's what it is, dude. Like, I, I feel like I've I've discussed this before. Maybe not on the podcast, but like, you know, it changes for. I mean, it's different for each person, right? Some people literally they just want to live the lifestyle. 
they just want to be a part of the click of of punk or of emo or whatever they just want to and it, you know i'm not knocking that necessarily it's just i mean it doesn't ring true for me like i i don't i feel like there's a lot of parts of the aesthetic of the scene or whatever that i don't feel like i fit in with right but i feel like that's where my music kind of sorts of fit sort of fits in with so like i have like this cognitive dissonance of like all right well my music belongs here but like there's parts of my personality that don't fit well with certain things and but i think some people are all in with the lifestyle all in with the touring and like just the the partying and not that it's all partying but just like right. just the, the aesthetic the being there mm-hmm. and the music maybe takes a back seat and not that like they have to be like these like starving artist types, you know, they can, that's totally fine to, Being to be a starving like artist is overrated. It can be. Yeah. You know, it would be nice to not be starving. I'm not starving. Much like, respect to anyone who does live that lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Well, I, dude, I feel like so many times I've gone to art shows and it just seems like there's a bunch of trust fund babies, like pretending to be starving artists, but then there's actual <laughs> that, starving That's artists. what I mean is like, like, People who are living the starting artist lifestyle yeah. are struggling. Like mad respect. And so like if you're if you're a trust fund baby, like why why would you want to act like that when you're not living that lifestyle? Well, yeah. This one of my favorite quotes is a Oscar Wilde quote, and I don't I'm just paraphrasing, but it's like the most uh like the most like the best artists are completely uninteresting in what they are as people. Mm-hmm. And, and i mean this is hyperbole but it's like the best artists are the people like that when you see them and you meet them they don't strike you as as like these artist types they they don't have they to exist in what they create they're an artist yeah and then the the worst artists quote-unquote live the art they can't write it's like he, the, the, the the worst poet i think is the quote is like he, he lives the art he cannot write right. so it's like the most like outlandishly eccentric people like can be and they can be like some of like the worst technical artists, you know, because it's more about the aesthetic rather than the actual product. Right. And I, I don't want to come out and be like, I know more about art than everybody right. else. Yeah. I'm, I'm just coming at this whole conversation, like trying to share what it's all abstract too. Stuff. Right. And like, I think, I think the best art is just anything that makes anybody feel something. And yeah. so, or conveys your experience. So I think, that's at least what I aim for. Yeah. I mean, you have to stick to, like, what feels authentic. Right. So so making art to, like, live a lifestyle is kind of a very... Because kind of a very short-sighted yeah. way of looking at it and not, not the most insightful way. Yeah. But I, I can see where someone who's inexperienced might come at it from that perspective. Yeah. And I think eventually they learn that. Well, yeah, I mean, they're not going to be able to do what they want by appreciating things like that. Right. And that's why I say, like, I'm not like knocking that at all. I think everybody has like their experience mm-hmm. that informs like their life journey or whatever. Right. It's, it's almost like it's a sign more of being naive. Yeah. And right. it's like they're not hurting anybody. Right. You know what I mean? Like I've to relate it back to myself like i've done plenty of things that you know that could be my version of going to college 
Right. You know what I mean? Like I went to college be- not because it was like my passion, but because it was this perceived lifestyle that I thought I wanted to live. Right. You know, and like I was just doing all the academic things because I thought that was like my niche, but then I realized it wasn't. So I moved out of it and now I feel like I'm actually doing the things that I want to do. And, and you know, the same thing could be for art. Some people think that they want to exist in this in this plane when really it's not for them. And then they figure it out later. So as long as you're not hurting anybody in the process, you know what I mean? Like it, right. life's fucking puzzle for all of us. Right. You figure out what works and you figure out what doesn't. Yeah. Anything where any kind of idea or anything that we're throwing shade at is just because I've been this person. Yeah. Yeah. That dude, that completely like, I, I, I don't mean to like disparage any sort of like idea or like anything like that at all. You know? Right. Cause I, like you said, I've probably gone through some version of it myself. Right. And I always try to think about like, can I relate with this idea of the concept before I shit on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes like it lends credibility to the idea. If, if you can relate with it, then it, I feel better about like maybe criticizing something because I've been there. Right. You know, you're everything you're throwing shade at is, the person who you used to be that you're maybe not ashamed of being, but that wasn't working for you. Right. You know, there's no sense in denying the past or whatever. Oh shit. We're kind of up there. Fuck. Do you want to talk about the label at all? Yeah. Let's talk about the label. All right. Let's knock that out real. I mean, you know, somewhat briefly. Right. I'll make it short and sweet. Um, so good luck charm records is something that I started doing last year. There were two kind of releases we did. Um, we did a run a seat. Well, we being me, yeah, it's just me. But um, so we released um, ship and sales hymnal on CD. Um, the tapes and the digital release were done through Two Foot Parade. Mm-hmm. Um, we did the CDs. Um, and I talked to Colin a lot about the idea of starting a label before we ended up, or before I ended up doing it. Yeah, and told him like. Hey, if you want to put out hymnal through a label, we'll do CDs for you if you want. Um, so we ended up doing that, and I think, I think Two Foot Parade is taking a break from putting stuff out. So we might do Ship and Sales next record. Okay, that's still kind of up in the air. So how does that work when you say like you do you just you pay to put to buy the CDs, and then like they you have like a contract where like he sells them and gives a certain amount to you? Or, like, yeah okay yeah so like it's like a handshake deal it's not like a contract right right but um like i'll pay for the physicals up front gotcha um, give them to him um and then he'll sell them at shows and stuff eventually um, i'll have a website online i don't have it yet right right right. that's one thing i've been procrastinating on quite a bit um but i want i want to get more into kind of the promotional aspect of it too so i feel Mm -hmm. like i'm doing something more for the bands than just um buying them cds yeah yeah yeah. being a benefactor right um that's cool though i think because like that's what i was wondering like with all these diy labels like when they they say like they're putting it out like what does that mean and you kind of answered my question for me and i'm sure that changes a little bit from each with each label you know right it depends what kind of resources and connections they have like some some diy labels at least seem to be very well connected with yeah like 
with the press and whatnot. Like, I'll just use Chatterbot as an example. I don't know anything I was about say, yeah, how Chatterbot wouldn't. works behind the scenes, but that's the impression I get from following them on Twitter. Like, they put out Origami Angels record and Origami Quit, Angels record. Like, Ian Cohen wrote about it in Pitchfork, mm-hmm. and it was around. And Chatterbot's like a very DIY label. I think only one person is part of that team. Hmm. You know, I, I don't remember if, like, I even met the chatterbot person or not because like we did that show with origami angel a while back a couple months ago i talked with them and i think equipment is on the same label as them yeah equipment's on chatterbot who else is on chatterbot i don't remember um, I, I didn't even think to is ask commander them. salamander on Chatterbot. i feel like they are <laughs> it would make remember. sense it would make sense i didn't think to like i talked with a singer from origami angel for a few but we only yeah. talked about like I don't even remember, honestly. Like, we'll, we'll see when I put the episode out. I don't fucking remember. Pokemon? What? Pokemon? <laughs> Probably not, actually. I mean, that yeah. might that might have come up, but, like, it was we were literally sitting in the, the Summit Shack living room, and, like, there's a bunch of people around, and I was just, like, one after the other, just like, hey, if anybody's in a band, like, come talk to me after this person, you know? Because, like, I didn't know anybody, like, by, by their faces except for the equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the equipment. <laughs> the equipment people. But, uh... Yeah, it was really cool. They were they're so fucking good too. Origami Angel equipment, you know, we played with Cheem, they were really good. And uh what were we talking about? Chatterbot. Yeah. I just knew that they were connected. But right. um I didn't realize that it was just like one person doing all that. That's kinda yeah. it's kinda gnarly. <laughs> yeah, swim into the sound, um actually named Taylor. Lex. Yeah, Taylor named Lex from Chatterbot the hardest working person in DIY. Oh, okay, yeah. Because she runs the whole thing herself. Okay, that makes sense. I remember reading that, uh, like, that was, like, on his end-of-the-year sort of yeah. blog. Yeah. I remember reading through that, and I didn't put two and two together until you just said that. Right. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, so maybe someday. I don't know. It depends on how much time I have. But, um, so we, we're working with Ship and Sail. We're working with Boyfrienders. Um, mm-hmm. Boyfrienders is kind of like a new wavy synthy. Kind yeah. of a little bit emo. They're coming on here too. Okay, sick. Yeah. But um, we put out their EP Diamond Boy. Nice. Last year, and they'll have another full length coming in March. Sweet. Um, I had brief talks with somebody else this week who I can't say yet because there's nothing, nothing set in stone. Yeah. But it's it's an artist I would be very, very stoked to work with well, inside baseball people yeah. i might even get to find out off the air what <laughs> yeah but no nothing set in stone right, they're, yeah. they're keeping other options open too it was just a very very brief conversation yeah like hey you're looking for this i i do this and this and might be able to help you if you're interested yeah so like keep me in mind when you're submitting i mean we learned you and i had that same conversation yeah like a few months ago like when mm-hmm. we were trying to plan this episode i was like hey i'm working on a record you know so yeah. i have n- i know zero about like how diy labels work or whatever but right. you know when when it's done i plan to at least test the waters right right you know see what's out there and at the very at the very least i'd like to put it out through like someone i know if like if i can't get any attention from somebody that would be like an obvious yes you know what yeah. I mean? Then, and I get I get very nervous about that too because I'm like, is that something I ever want to breach with No Fun Club? Because I know when we were putting out our EP, we submitted to one label who 
who ended up ghosting us. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we really like your stuff. We'll be down to put it out when I sent them like our demos and one of the tracks we recorded. And then I sent them the whole EP and then never heard back from them again. Hmm. So yeah, I wouldn't let that discourage you though. Yeah. Cause it's, they're just run by people and sometimes yeah. people do that shit. Right. Know? And there's, there's no shortage of labels like foul land. They're on a fucking label. That's out in Seattle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, you just gotta look. Yeah, Spartan Spartan has some big bands. Yeah, on too. I mean that's like, true. They press vinyl for Fallowland. They, I don't know the extent of exactly like what they helped them with, but they got them hooked up with the guy from Minus, Minus the, the Bear. Bear. Yeah, it's so I think they dope. did that through Spartan. I'll have to talk to Wit to confirm the details of exactly how they hooked that up. They talked about it when when uh, Fallowland did uh, the podcast, but it was way back. I think what. I think Wit like knew that he wanted to record with that guy, and then they recorded the record. Then they sent it to Spartan. Yeah, and then like they agreed to put it out. Okay, so they made that connection before. Yeah, yeah. before they sent to Cause, Spartan because the guy who recorded uh, "Slow Down Rockstar" mixed the EP because Wit said he he got drunk one night and like sent it to the guy like to the guy from minus the bear like asking if he'd be willing because wit was talking about that same sort of thing about just like not like kind of being afraid of like what you want right you know but he just wanted he just sent it to him and the guy agreed like yeah this sounds good i like to mix it and then ended up working on his full length with them Mm -hmm. so i mean that's it's just cool like it just works like that sometimes you just gotta like kind of put it out there Mm -hmm. but all right dude yeah, so Boyfriend Drew's record in yep. March. Maybe Ship and Sail record. Colin's always writing. Yeah, Colin's Colin's in the studio. Colin and Mike are recording tonight. Um over at uh at what, they, where, where do they record? They actually? record with um Colin's told me this. Sha- Colin's times. friend Sean, who works out of Plymouth. That's who Colin's been going to forever. Okay. Um for all the ship and sale stuff. So they're they're there tonight, as I saw on Instagram. <laughs> um, Exclusive. Maybe English. maybe more releases with Good Luck Charm Records this year. Um, if you want to submit, if you have a band that you're feeling good about, send it to goodluckcharmrex at gmail.com. Hell yeah. Do you do vinyl or just like a particular thing that you try to I would to love to? to do vinyl someday, but no. Okay. Um, it's just been CDs so far. Um I've been meaning to do a run of tapes for the boyfrienders stuff, mm-hmm. but I have not gotten around to it. I'm very sorry, Benny. <laughs> Please don't hate me. <laughs> Good luck, Charm Records. No Fun Club's the band. What was the name of that song? Do you have a name for the song that you played um, at the beginning? Yeah, so the song I played at the beginning, um, it's tentatively titled Personal Hall. I don't know how much I like that title. I don't, I'm not feeling 100% about it. It is a lyric from the song, but... Yeah, usually my song titles are like the third or fourth version of the song title, so right, you know. But eventually, it will have a full title. Yeah, um, I, I fucking dug it though. No fun club announcements. Um, keep your eyes open for Eureka Records session coming soon. Oh yeah, um, Hamtramck Music Festival. I didn't get to talk about it all, but the lineup for that just came out yesterday. We're playing Hamtramck Music Festival. Oh, we will be at the Polish Village Cafe on. February 29th in Hamtramck. So this is the leap year. Okay. Yes. It's good to know. Yeah. I was wondering that yesterday. I was like, what, is this the leap year? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so that's sweet. I can finally talk about that. I've nice. been telling anybody who's been trying to ask us to play a show February, we can't do anything in February because we have something very big in February. That's and sweet. now I can share what that very big thing is. Nice. Hamtramck Music Festival, baby. I thought we were the only emo band on it, but I did find there was one other emo band. (laughs) Who's the other emo band? Um, Nothing Gold is what they were called. I'd never heard of them I won't pretend to hear of them. Yeah, I haven't heard of them. Okay. But they're on it, dude. They're there. Yeah. Hamtramck Music Festival. I'll have to look into that because I've never heard of that. But is it like it's like multiple venues? It sounds like yeah. It's basically like you buy a wristband for fifteen dollars, and like literally every bar and even places that aren't bars. Oh, that's sweet. Are open and they have bands playing all day. Um, I've never been. Anthony Zito has told me it's a life changing experience. We trust I'm that. Very guy, excited. Though. Um, Bombastic Dream Pussy's playing too. Oh, be there. Hell yeah, be there. It was the shit. Along with some other cool Detroit bands like Hala, Kimball. Kimball I've heard good things about too. Yeah, Kimball's really cool. I don't know them personally. I yeah, I've I've only like heard I've I've seen them on different lineups that made me think yeah. like, oh, okay, they're they're probably I'm like, oh that's a pretty cool show to be on, you know. Right. What I mean? Who else is on Hamtramck Music Festival? Zilched, if I didn't already say them. Heard of Zilched. Um Pancho Villa Skull yeah. is on Hamtramck Music Festival. It's going to be sweet. Yeah. It's it's going to be a very fun time. Um, after that, I think we have one other show in the works. And then we're trying to figure out what our touring is going to be like for summer. We're yeah, eventually yeah. going to make a record. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. Invite <sighs> the neighbors. No fun club. Forever. Taking over the world, baby. 